Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. Hi guys, today's show is brought to you by the extremely kind donations by our donors over at Patreon. Andrew, tell us a little bit about Patreon. Well, you got um, perks, and you got donating to us, and all sorts of stuff. We'll read your name off if you want us to. Or even if you don't want us to. (laughs) Your name's getting read off. In fact, let's read off their names right now. Our current patrons are Stephanie L. Terry Needleman. Max Lunig. Benjamin Lear. Chris O'Kelly. Lily Ackles. Mackenzie Horner. John Donna. Taryn the Duck. Real Duck confirmed. Hashtag confirmed. Melissa Goldman, uh, who actually recently there was a scandal, not a real Goldman, uh, sadly. Oh, oh, that's sad. But Jess Lightning, who I hear is the best Jess on this show. Uh, Ewan Cassidy. Um, Haley McDonald. Tiskeer. Callum McLeod. Fire of September. And Sam Bergman. It actually is September now. Isn't that cool? That it is a fire. Um, <laughs> they give us. Did you did you hear what's going on in the Amazon forest? Uh, did that end yet, or is that still going? Yeah, there's fire forever in September. They give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the lights on here at Musicals with Cheese. If you would like to join them in supporting us and get tons of fun perks, such as patron-only commentaries, our episodes a day early, or even earlier, come join us over at Patreon. It'll be fun. It's like a little party over there. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Maybe we'll finally have our uh, thing up by now. <laughs> <laughs> That commentary we keep promising. It'll be up, and if not, something will be up. Thank you guys for your patience. All right, let's get on to the real show. Hello, I'm Jesse McAnally. And I'm Andrew DeWolf. And welcome to Musicals with Cheese, a podcast where I try to get Andrew to like musical theater. And guess what, Andrew? Oh, is it a guest? Another super special guest. And a his super name is also- special guest. <laughs> and his name is also Andrew, which is going to make this super fucking confusing. Here we have historian and musical theater aficionado, maestro Andrew Weinstein. Weinstein, forgive me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, totally Jeff. Okay, <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm totally happy to be here. <laughs> I butcher your name within the first five seconds. Still happy to be here. What a sport. Yeah, he's he's a good sport. (laughs) So, Andrews, how are we feeling today? Good. I'm, I'm, you know, is this a gag? Am I going to do a gag? I mean, you can. (laughs) You can if you give a shit. Now you go, Jess. You know how I'm feeling today? Yeah, how's that? I feel like my culture is slowly being monopolized by a bunch of other foreign countries. What are you, a white supremacist? Or worse, a colonizer? (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) In case you haven't guessed, um, we are not doing the KKK, the musical. We are doing Pacific (laughs) Overtures, the musical. In the middle of the world we float In the middle of the sea The realities remain remote In the middle of the sea 
Wheels are burning somewhere. Wheels are turning somewhere. Trains are being run. Wars are being won. Things are being done somewhere out there. Not here. Here we paint screens. Yes, the arrangement of the screens. Pacific Overtures is a musical written by Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman. The show is set in Japan beginning in 1853 and follows the difficult westernization of Japan, told from the point of view of the Japanese. In particular, the story focuses on the lives of two friends caught in the change. So, Maestro and Andrew, what are your guys' overall thoughts on Pacific Overtures? Like, what do you guys think? Well, since I'm the one who obviously brought it up to you guys, I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite Sondheim musicals. Um, next to Assassins, this is probably one of my favorites. Kind of similar themes there, too, with the, the historical, but kind of um, almost vaguely historical, I guess. I, <laughs> hard to describe. I mean, the show kind of like does a little bending with history, but um, otherwise you get a gist of what it was going on. I mean, if you nowadays you want a better understanding of Japanese history, we have Bill Wirtz's The History of Japan. Mm. But then we'd have to read. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather just listen to songs. Yeah, I'd rather just someone cram songs <laughs> down my face. Would you say that this is a good way to teach Japanese history, or is this not accurate at all? <laughs> I mean, I think this is probably a great way for people um, who have like no understanding of history to like get an idea and um, in a way that's entertaining and um, really really well written so what you're saying is it's like the inglorious bastards of japanese westernization like yeah it's entertaining it's good but it's not real history <laughs> i mean i think most of the characters are like sub-ins for people who might actually have existed i mean sorry sorry um the uh, the sh the show is about people and about a culture and you don't really get a lot of western musicals told from a different point of view. Although the downside of it is that it is a point of view as written by a Westerner. So it's a whole a bundle of not making sense or shouldn't make sense, but it, it does. It's Westerners writing as if they're writing an Eastern perspective from a Western perspective. And I mean, um, actually, John Weidman actually studied East Asian history, so he has a good idea of what he was writing. Mm -hmm. That's good. He's educated. He's not just some rando coming in here. But then again, he probably doesn't have the personal cultural history the way that someone raised in Japan might. I would like to know your history with the show, uh, Maestro, and why you why you wanted to discuss it. Well, I mean, I have no performing history with the show because I'm white. I would never be cast in this show. Anywhere. I don't think you could be. It wouldn't. <laughs> they, don't, they don't do that, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Uh, for for context, you should probably let everybody know that this show was written for a full Asian Japanese cast. Mm -hmm. Told in very traditional kabuki theater methods, meaning at least for the first half, where it's an all-male cast traditionally, all-Asian cast, and especially the original Broadway cast was an all-Asian with mostly Japanese with some Islanders and Chinese folks mixed in, but mostly an all-Japanese cast. Funny thing is that, like, the way the Japanese are presented is they're, um, as I believe um, is uh, written in uh, Sondheim's Finishing the Hat, is um, all the Japanese are speaking the Queen's English, while all mm -hmm. the other, like, people of 
other foreign descent are all like pigeon speaking. Yes. Seen very well in the song. I think it's no, please. Please. Hello. Please. Hello. I'm so sorry. Yes, please. Hello. And uh, well, otherwise, I don't have any history with the show than just like um, grabbing onto it through recordings and uh, Mm -hmm. finding video of it at an early age and then just like really, really enjoying it. So it's just a plain enjoyment. There's no like because you say this is your favorite song time. So what makes it rank above like the Sweeney Todd's and the Sunday in the Park with George's to you? Um, that actually is a very good question because I am a, I love Sondheim completely. Like, like I love Sweeney Todd and I love Sunday in the park and I can actually sing those roles. I, Mm -hmm. I just find like something like it's, it's a very different kind of Sondheim show. And that's what I think I, I like it more than like others because there's like, I don't think there's another show really like it. Even like Miss Saigon isn't really like this show. No, I agree. And I think this is where both Sondheim and Hal Prince kind of get to stretch their legs in a way they don't usually get to. I think while this isn't my personal favorite collaboration of Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim, I think this is them doing what they were most creatively seeking out to do together. Mm -hmm. Now, Andrew, what did you think of it? Because this was your first time watching it. You watched it two days ago. Well, I think this is a a very, very different show and they have obviously gone very out of their way to make it uh traditional japanese type theater and and music uh so the music doesn't sound well well there definitely is sondheim in it it doesn't sound as much like him as it usually does he has a very distinct style and a lot of his musicals sound very similar but this one is just completely out there um because they were going for something else i will say that it kind of gets a little confusing in who you're following because it seems like every scene they switch to new characters and I, I got kind of lost at some point like the plot is easy to follow but the the characters are not if that makes sense like i understood what was happening i just didn't understand who i was watching sometimes um is, is that understandable yeah there are moments where it changes from being a story about the main characters to taking these little like slices of life moments from the, from the rest of the Japanese people. Yeah. Which is interesting, but I would say um, when you watch it for the first time through, it can sometimes be like, Oh, is this someone I should know? Uh, Who is this? (laughs) You know, I guess if you watch it a few times, you kind of get used to it. Like, Oh, well this is this other character. This is this character. And these are the main characters or whatever it is. If there even is main characters, honestly. Uh, <laughs> you know what um, Hal Prince would say to you if he actually heard that critique? He would say, you don't get it. He would say, that was an intentional thing to like throw off Western audiences. It's an intentional whiplash. Oh, cool. Um, well, you're, the, the people you're marketing to are, are probably Western audience, so you might want to think about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's fine to please an audience, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not unpleasing to an audience, but whiplash isn't altogether a bad thing. No, but if you're trying to get someone to enjoy it right away, like first watch, maybe whiplash isn't the way to go. Mm-hmm. Now, Maestro, do you feel like any of that is like too um, too much? Like they were avoiding trying to please an audience in a certain way? Um, maybe. I mean. Uh, this show did have like multiple tryouts beforehand. So they were like, they were like picking and 
they were like there are there are several like songs and moments that were like cut from in Boston and Washington DC before it even got to New York. And even um and even in the 2005 revival there are still like more scenes cut. So I mean they turned it from like a 2 hour and 20 minute version to like a 90 vi- minute version for that like new revival, which I think is an effective way to get this bit story which is basically just an extended metaphor across wait a mm-hmm. metaphor for what it's just a metaphor for westernization that's all the musical is well i mean it's not a metaphor though it literally is a story about what really happened as far as westernization told through metaphors like the end of act one is literally a lion dance where a guy starts off as like a traditional japanese lion dance and ends with like an american cakewalk yeah, and they even cut yes. down that scene for the uh, 2005 revival where it's just like um, the the guy, the Commodore Matthew Perry lion is kind of just replaced like by a big guy in a coat and a hat with some fuzzy hair and a big nose. And he just like shows up, stares down the audience, and then his compatriots just like start spray painting the stage before it <laughs> cuts down to the end of the first act. I mean, that's less direct, but less interesting, too. <laughs> what? Yeah. So just not as good as in general, is what you're saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, Andrew, I'm going to put you to a task, a very difficult okay. task. Me I or? Wa- um, DeWolf Andrew. <laughs> Thank you for making that distinction. Okay. Um, I want DeWolf Andrew to try to describe for me the plot of this show and hit the best way he possibly can. Well, honestly, that's not that difficult. I don't think. Okay. Um, there is uh, Japan, which is not called Japan yet. It's called uh, Ni- Nippon. Is that correct? Uh, Nippon. Nippon. Um, at that point. And mm-hmm. they don't allow foreigners in. Um, you know. But then a bunch of ships... Well, well they, they know that a bunch of ships are going to show up, so they task someone to look for them or something like that or or i might be wrong on that it's either it's one way or the other they either have the boat show up and then they task someone to talk to them to figure out what they want it feels like just to go communicate in yeah some way. yeah i think they task the person before the ships show up right because uh, the the fisherman tells them that they're going to show up yeah there's a there's <laughs> yeah. a fisherman named manjaro who um was sent out to sea as a was led out to sea as a kid and then he came back to Japan after having been like schooled in Massachusetts and he warns everyone that like these big American ships are coming so they yeah. need to find somebody to go talk to them. Yeah, so they they promote someone in quotes because uh they don't think it's a possible task basically to talk to them and basically they he thinks he's just going to fail. Uh <laughs> Um, i would too like i'm like all right just be ready for seppuku guys well that's that's literally one of the songs Uh, (laughs) then the ships do show up um the shogun of the area doesn't actually want to meet with them even though they said they would shell the city um so the shogun's mother i think kills him or poisons him or something like that yes with the chrysanthemum Um, tea yes um but they do eventually figure out a way to ha- meet with the Americans without letting them come on the land, but in with, some it, ridiculous thing. Like, like they have to put <laughs> mats down and carry them across yeah. so that they bring them It sounds like an Abbott and Costello sketch. 
But that yeah, is it's tradition, like yeah, it, it's kind of absurd, but that that's what happens. Um, and then yeah, they meet the Americans leave, but then I think a bunch of other people show up because they and then they have to agree to open their borders. Mm-hmm. Well, not open their borders, open trade. Um, and then by the end of the show, after all that happened, they pretty much the emperor says like we're gonna westernize entirely. Um, welcome to Japan. The end. <laughs> yeah, Toyota! Let's all come on in! We're gonna start making stuff! Let's go! Yeah, and there's a few characters that you kind of follow, who I think become more and more Western as it goes, which you have the song mm-hmm. Bowler Hat about. Is That's what that's kind of about. Right. Um, though that's the part of the show that honestly I can't follow as well, is what the hell those two characters do, and where... Because they don't... They're not in every scene... And occasionally it comes back to them, but I don't know. It gets a little confusing. What do you think, Maestro? What do you think their purpose is in the story? Well, um, our main... The the two people we follow around in the show, um, Kayama and Manjiro, um, are essentially like two halves of the coin at the time. You've got Kayama, who um, is becoming more and more Western and is enjoying becoming more and more Western. And then you have Manjiro, who has come back from America and is trying to become more Japanese in a sense, trying to reclaim him, his Japanese um, ancestry. And um, eventually they become uh, op- opposing ends of a war between the people who want to see the Westerners expelled from the country again and those who want to keep them around because they're hoping that they can use their technology to become a powerful nation. It's, it's interesting. It's just... On first viewing, it can get a little confusing who they are and why we keep coming back to them occasionally, since they're, while they are the main characters, they're not, you know, really that important in the grand scheme after their part in the story is done. Another character worth noting is the guy who is, like, narrating the entire thing. Mm. Oh, yes. Yes. The the, reciter. uh, Yes. Yes. In the original Um, production, he is played by Mako. Who you might remember from Avatar The Last Airbender as the uncle. Um, yeah, in the original production, he's played by Mako, who is the... Uh, and in the uh, 2005 revival, he is played by B.D. Wong, which uh, most people know him from Law & Order SVU. What about Mulan? He was in Mulan. Oh, yeah. He's the acting voice of, Sh- of Shang. And the 2017 off-Broadway revival cast had George Takei as the reciter. Yes, that production, I believe, was like very, very stripped down to where it was yes. just like the actors and a couple of the props on the stage. But the lion dance was really hard to do there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but anyway, the reciter's role is essentially to tell the story. Actually, John Wyman originally pitched the show as a, a Japanese man creating a show about Japan after experiencing Western culture. So it's so that reciter character is essentially trying to be like the author. Well, the reciter is not like a non-biased, you know, narrator. He's an actual person telling the story who is obviously from the Japanese perspective. So he reminds me a lot of the balladeer in Assassins. Like that was the main connection I made is like this guy who is out of the story, but still can hop in whenever he feels like it. He's my favorite character. Oh, obviously. 
<laughs> he's the audience surrogate in a way. He's like our, the one holding our hand, and we all love the guy that's holding our hand. Well, yeah, he told me the story. That's why he's the reason I understand what happened in this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> he also said a few haikus to me. Like, I felt really welcomed by him. There's a lot of stuff I liked in this that is not mm -hmm. in songs. Um, there's like a there's like a lot of parts where they show kind of how different the cultures are. I love the um, the one part where they set up like an army behind a curtain and the Americans just laugh at them about it. They're like, who sets up an army behind a curtain? Um, I love the portrayal of everyone that isn't uh, Japanese as like barbarians. I was gonna, Oh, yeah, I was going to say that as well. It's like um, it's like how in a lot of shows. Well, not a lot of shows, but they're like older shows. You'd see like horrible portrayals of Japanese people as like ridiculous over the top stereotypes. This is like the exact opposite where it's like you have like that one song is I think it is Please Hello, right? Where they have yeah. um, just ridiculous over the top stereotypes of all these like European countries. And it's hilarious. <laughs> is there anything you want to say about the story before we move on to the songs? There's a lot to talk about in the songs. Yeah, there, <laughs> there are there. Yeah, I think most of the story is really like in the songs, um, and that's what I love about it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, looking over, looking, finishing the hat again. I'm, I'm just the first general comment section is just literally about less is more. Yeah, and I, I and think he apparently he learned that on this. Yeah. Like I, the best thing I like about the story is that it's not condescending to the Japanese. At least I think it is. I, I would like to remind the audience that I am white and I am in no way an expert on Japanese history. So if you think that there is something that needs to be discussed, uh, please send any comments to Andrew and Jess at musicaltheaterlives at gmail.com. Who are both experts on Japanese history. <laughs> Jess went to college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair. fair, fair. Um, <laughs> he says fair. He says. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you in the middle of the show, but I got a show at you. Today's show is brought to you by the extremely kind donations by our donators over at Patreon. Andrew, why don't you list them off for us? All right. Uh, do you want to see how fast I can go? Yeah, go. Okay. It's not like they're, they're uh, paying Stephanie, us or anything. They are paying us. That's why they want to hear me do this quick. All right. They're, they're not paying us to read their name. They're paying us for the they show, They kind of are, though. Stephanie L, Terry Needleman, Max Lunig, Benjamin Lear, Chris O'Kelly, Lily Ackles, Mackenzie Horner, John Donna, Tara the Duck, Melissa Goldman, Jess Lickning, Ewan Cassidy, Haley McDonald, Tuskira, Kyle McLeod, Fire of September, and Sam Bergman. I like how you almost said Ewan McGregor. <laughs> almost, but I didn't. <laughs> These folks give us a little extra financial support that helps us keep the yeah. lights on here at Musicals with Cheese. If you'd like to join them in supporting us and get tons of fun perks such as patron-only commentaries, our episodes a day early, or even earlier, come on to join us at Patreon. We're gonna have some cool stuff as soon as Andrew's not busy every fucking day of his life. Thanks. Alright, let's get back to the show. <laughs> in the middle of the world we float In the middle of the sea Realities remain remote in the middle of the sea. Things are burning somewhere. 
Advantages of floating in the middle of the sea. Probably one of the classic show openers. I really like how different this song is because it's such a, um, obviously very, very heavily influenced by the Japanese type uh, music. Mm-hmm. How it's, um, how it's written. It does, it doesn't have a Western sound to it at all. Um, most in this, I think this song is, it's the most that way as well. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> Am I, am I wrong th- there? I don't know. Why do you think that's that's that way, Andrew? Well, I think, well, it's obviously thematic. As the show progresses, uh, you get more and more Western-style melodies. Um, so at the very beginning, they want to really show off not having that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, as Maestro pr- probably might say, this was what Sondheim describes as one of the failures of the show, is the fact that he didn't go more weird and get them a little bit more off-kilter with this opening number. And state the theme more directly. He could have done that, but I think it would have been too much and would have uh, would have driven away audiences, especially for an opening number. Um, I think he did it enough that you get the theme, but he didn't go overboard where it would like people would be confused. What do you think of the song thematically, Maestro? Um, I it definitely sets up the tone in terms of the kind of music you're going to be hearing throughout the show and the seriousness in which the characters are taking the story and their own culture. And also Mako's voice is hilarious. Yeah, he has a very, very nice baritone. I'm not sure it's like the most perfect singing voice in the world, but when I hear it, I smile. Like, I just, I just love it. He makes me melt. I do like Four Black Dragons. Yeah, that's that song is awesome. There's a lot of intensity to it. So why do you like Four Black J- Dragons so much? I, I like songs that have a, a lot of intensity, especially when they're backed by the story. And, and like with this song, it's got a lot going for it. And it's obviously a very important moment in the story because this is kind of, you know, the thing that happens is, is the American ships show up and they, they stay there for a while. So it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Maestro? <laughs> what do you think really drives you to this song? Draws you um, in. Well, the song right, bef- like immediately right before this, is this like touching, romantic uh, song about the uncertainty of um, of the characters, and then you immediately go into like absolute panic from everybody else, including like I love the I love this little like mini scene in the song where the. Uh, the old where the man, his son and the grandmother are like arguing about how to get her up the mountain. And then we get a proverb about how, like, if you tell if you leave grandma up the mountain, I'm going to leave you up the mountain when you're older, dad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, I agree with both of you guys. This song is like, like so incredible. Sets up the threat perfectly. It sets up like the main conflict perfectly too. And then those last words. And I thought mm-hmm. it was the end of the world. And the reciter goes, and it was. My lord, with but three days remaining, and today already waning, I've a few further shocks, my lord. To begin, let me say, at the risk of repetition, there are ships in the bay, and they didn't ask permission, but they sit there all day in contemptuous array with a letter to convey, and they haven't gone away, and there's every indication that they still plan to stay, and you look a little gray, my lord, my lord. Have some tea, my lord, some chrysanthemum tea. What we plan, if we can, what our answer ought to be. If the tea the shogun drank will serve to keep the shogun tranquil, I suggest, if I may, my lord. We consult the Confucians, they have logical solutions. There are none wise as they, my lord. Over there, my lord. All right, Jess, we can talk about the one you want now. Yay! Chrysanthemum tea! <laughs> <laughs> How do you right. say that? It, it, cr- yeah. Chrysanthemum? Uh, chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum, yeah. I fucking love this song, guys. What do you like so much about this song? Um, it just feels... It feels like classic Sondheim via, like, traditional Japanese culture. Like, this feels like a song in content that could have been in Mrs. Lovett's Mouth. Like, it is that amount of dark comedy that you don't really see in many other Broadway workers aside from Stephen Sondheim. I really love that the, the Shogun just lays in bed the whole time. Surrounded, like, by every single person in the court. His mother, his wife, his companion, his soothsayers, his priests, the counselor, and uh, sumo wrestlers in the original production. I hate that they cut the sumo wrestlers from the, from the new production. Well, that's just fucking shame. Yeah. Well, other than that, it's just like you go from having just like these. Everybody's trying to figure out what to do and then just just have the big twist of like, oh, no, he was being poisoned the whole time. But it's still a comedy song. Like it is still a very high comedy song, despite that very dark twist to it. It just makes you want to listen to it again, like, oh my god, and I'm picking up the lyrics more and more. And it's very clever lyrics, like, it is very clever Sondheimian lyrics. I absolutely agree. Now, was it really a good idea to poison him, though? I mean, the mother says, uh, like, if there's no Shogun to answer them, then they'll have to leave, right? Um, well, technically, uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love how in uh, how Sondheim actually describes this as a Jewish mother song. What? Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Is yeah. It is. How is this a Jewish mother song? Please, you someone needs to elaborate this for me. Uh, you know how um, there's like the stereotype that like all Jewish mothers are worrying and they're always on their children's case, and it's like. Dude, you got to do it now. You got to do it now. Why aren't you doing anything? Oh, my God, it's going to get worse. I, I I was raised in a Jewish household. So, yeah, I can agree. Why are you always such a mashugana? <laughs> do Jewish mothers often poison their children? No. 
<laughs> the only thing that Jewish mothers do is cut off that the tip of the weenus. Oh, oh, lots of mothers do that. <laughs> I just wish mine didn't wait till I was twenty-eight. <laughs> Haze hovering like the whisper of the silk as my lady kneels. Your turn. Haze glittering like an echo of the lamps in the streets of Boston. Your turn. Moon, I love her like the moon. Making jewels of the grass where my lady walks, my lady wife. Moon, I love her like the moon, washing yesterday away as my lady does. America, your turn. I want to talk about poems a little bit. All right, now you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to say more than that? That 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 is that is the joke. It is hopeful bliss um from these two gentlemen. It is the closest thing to a romance song between these two guys, and you kind of need one in the story they're trying to tell. Okay, and I love it. So, are they writing poems to girls or to each other or what? That's the question. It seems like one of them is writing poems to girls, and the other one is writing poems to America. Yeah, because that's who they consider like their lady love. Kayama loves his wife, who's ever attentive to him. And then we have Manjaro, who loves America because that's where he was raised. And that's pretty much like most of what he knows in his life. I love their bonding. I really do. <laughs> and I love how they can both respect like each other's love, which considering the situation they're in, you wouldn't expect. Very true. Your turn. <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Kanagawa Music and food for 20 yen Music and food and maybe then Welcome Welcome to Kanagawa Music and food and company Music and food and more of me Welcome to Kagana Kanagawa. Kind of reminded me of that one, like the opening song in Miss Saigon. Because it had prostitutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prostitutes uh, that wanted Americans. Soundtime describes this song as problematic, and he has done like dozens of rewrites, and he has not figured out how to fix it. I mean, I still then don't. I still find it like funny at times, but yeah, it definitely has its problems. Especially in how you're trying to explain all the things that these women are supposedly trying to sell to the Americans. Mm -hmm. Now, how did they sell anything to the Americans when the Americans couldn't step off of those mats that they laid out for them? That is, that is a very good question. I mean, I would assume that there were like stragglers or I, or it's probably just like the Japanese are like hopeful for business, but you know, everyone's run away in fear. So the, the funniest thing is comparing like how each like, thing is like uh, shown in the musical in the original production they have the geishas all reading from like decorated fans in the 2005 production however all the geishas have rope and they like act out using the ropes like oh. 
Yeah, like they're pre essentially pretending the ropes are penises. That's interesting. <laughs> Man, I'm getting turned on right now thinking about those ropes, baby. Thinking about those <laughs> men dressed as women playing with them ropes. <laughs> oh man! And then freaking Lola's world starts coming on, and ooh, baby! <laughs> it's kind of a pointless song, honestly. We need something to laugh at at that point in the show. It's, there's too many. Po it, it, there was just a seppuku on stage. Like we need, we need a chuckle. Yeah, but like the poem song was kind of funny. Yeah, and it's followed like, by a seppuku. It, it's a it's a meh from me. Since I hear them, they are there. As they argue it, I'm the listener underneath. Someone reads a list from a box. Someone talks of laws. Then they fan a bit. Someone bangs a fist. Someone knocks. Now there was a pause. Then they argue it. But we want, no, you can't, and we won't, but we need it, and we want. Will you grant if you don't? We concede it, I can see them. I'm a fragment of the day. If I were a things might have an ear the way that they're happening. The next song that I think is probably one of my favorite songs of all time. Absolutely. Yes, let's talk about Lion Dance. <laughs> no, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about someone in a tree. Oh, we were gonna talk about that one. Can, are you sure we can't just skip it? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> this song is incredible. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna talk about this because I have kind of stayed quiet for a second. Um. But I really want to talk heavily about this song. Your turn. Exactly. You go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I this is my last song time, and it was a weird cherry to pop because like I've watched literally everything he's ever done. Um, even the weird Anthony Perkins movie he's wrote the screenplay to. So this is the last song time I have, and it's surprising that in the last piece of work I get of him, I am still shocked at how good he is. And this song, I was just like, holy shit, there he is. Like, and my jaw is just on the ground by it. So, and I can see its influence in future songs, like things like The Room Where It Happened in Hamilton. Like, you can see the, how this directly influences that. And it's, it's incredible. It's basically, since no one has an account of the meeting between the Japanese and the Americans, they have these older folks describe like hey i was there and here's what i saw and these samurais underneath the floorboards like i was there too i heard it and they just kind of corroborating all their stories when basically no one knows anything those people probably just made it up either way no, it's because, an interesting story either way it's an interesting story but sondheim had to go in there and there's this great video on youtube where he literally goes step by step through his writing process where he had john weidman write 
it out as a scene and then he transcribed it into a song and really it is so effective and easily not just one of the best song the best song in this show but one of my favorite sondheim songs and sondheim describes it himself as his favorite song he's ever written high praise from the man mm-hmm. what do you think my show um, yeah you definitely put it right you said it right all there it's 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 his best song without a doubt and it's just like at the end i love how they just all decide it's like even if it's just like these little bits here and there it's still something and if they weren't there to hear it or see it. Who knows if it even happened at all? I, I don't know. Didn't it? I, I don't know. His best song. I, I don't, what, what's so amazing about it? <laughs> <laughs> you make me angry, Andrew. <laughs> what? No, really, though. Am I am I missing something? What, why? Why is this his best song? I can it's think of complex, like three songs. It's melodic. That I think it's are better than this very effective. Was that? <laughs> I can think of like three or four songs in other musicals he's done that are better. Why? Which ones? Which ones are you thinking of specifically? He has songs that have a lot more energy to them or much. I, I like much more intense songs. This one is just kind of it's OK. I don't know. But for storytelling, it is a short play. Basically, it's complicated. It is melodic. You can hum it. Um, it is everything you would want from a song in a musical theater piece. But the story it tells is unrelated to the rest of the story in a lot of ways, because these characters we never meet again, and really they don't actually say anything. But it, it is also the climax of the actual piece, because this is what we've all been building to. I, I, I don't know about that. At least through Act 1, like this is the climax. Is, yeah, but I feel like the actual climax is the end. Sorry, I gotta, I gotta throw a wrench on this one. I, I, I like I, to I, mess things up. You, you, you're free to believe your wrong opinion, but... Okay. <laughs> as far as songs that I would want to go back and listen to, I actually, I liked Four Black Dragons better. <laughs> I mean, when I went back to listen to this after I did my first listen, the first thing I listened to was Someone in a Tree about 95 times, and then I listened to Chrysanthemum to you about five times. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the whole show through one time, and then listened to it one time. I'm, su I'm surprised you didn't at least appreciate, like, how it slowly grows into this trio and then quartet. It's what everyone praised him so much for doing in follies with like waiting for the girls upstairs except oh, no, i like the song it's i like the song just his best song ever i'm not sure about I, I i don't know if i can agree with that okay i'll give you that but it is at least the best song in the show storytelling wise. maybe it depends what you mean by storytelling wise in telling its own story i would say yes in telling the story of the show not really and telling the story um, of, like, history. I love the idea that Maestro brought up about it being, like, history in itself. It's, like, whoever tells the most, the story that sticks, more or less. And I think that's a brilliant metaphor shown very well in the song that is both memorable, catchy, emotional, and altogether the point of the entire story. And I fear, well, you see, there's a famine. Could you wait for a year? We'll agree to examine it.
days alone we must go But our intervals will grow New day talks as they talk Brings complete cooperation By the way, may we say We have no intonation And with heavy cannon Wish you an effective please hello Let's talk about please hello This song's a lot of fun <laughs> Oh my god, yeah What a way to open act two This is, uh, this is the best song in the show by far Um <laughs> <laughs> Far and away the greatest song. <laughs> Maybe the best song Sondheim has ever written. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Be careful with anything you say with Andrew, because he Andrew will listen. Careful the things you do, because Andrew will hear and learn. Andrew may not obey, but damn it, he'll listen. Oh, I'm listening. Alright, so Please Hello is basically Japan getting inundated with all these other countries being like, I want to be involved with you, and they're like, we just don't want to deal with this, and we don't have a military that can fight off all of you, like, come on. And done in, like, these incredibly offensive stereotypes of these other countries. It's amazing. It's hilarious in the best ways. And the, ti the title of the song is just a Japanese stereotype joke. Although it's actually said by the Americans, so so if you've listened to the song before, you know that like the American admiral comes in and it's like a ooh, it's a big American march. Then you got the British admiral coming in and he's singing it like it's HMS Pinafore, or or X or more or less like modern major general from Pirates of Penzance. Then you got the Dutch coming in and they're singing it like it's a clog dance. The Russians come in and it's uh, like this very serious. Um, folkish kind of thing, and then you got the French guy coming in, and it's just this. Then the entire number just turned into a giant can can. It's it's amazing. This whole thing is fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then it, it ends with them like signing like a thing and and just holding it over the Japanese guy so you can't see him. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those rare Act Two openers that is very important to plot. This entire musical breaks all musical theater like setups and rules and all that. Oh uh, yeah, a little bit. It's not. It's it's intentional though, obviously. Mm -hmm. Next, the top hitter on the New York Yankees last season was Hideki Matsui. Next, Sony is now the number one brand name in America. Last spring, Japanese self-defense forces joined their American allies to help reconstruct Iraq. Next. Never mind the small disaster. Who's the stronger? Who's the faster? Let the people show the master. Next. 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 Toyota Motor Company, 4270 up 40 yen. Exxon Mobil, 1517 down 30 yen. For kids, 
Welcome to Japan. Next! Okay, this is one of the best ending songs to any musical ever. With a fantastic ending line. <laughs> yes. Honestly, probably the most memorable part of the entire show is just this ending. Yeah, the visual symbolism of everyone just turning and becoming what Japan is now, basically. The land of Toyota and all that other stuff. Yeah, and, and mass Anime, furries, everything. Yeah. <laughs> There is a difference in the staging between the original and the 2005. Um, in the 2005 production, it the, the song starts with them kind of wanting to become like a military power. And then Commodore Perry just like walks in on the runway in the middle. And then suddenly there's like a huge flash light and part of the set comes down, you know, for the for the nuclear blast. And then slowly oh, wow. the Japanese are like rebuilding themselves. And then it turns into... Then it regains momentum. Yeah. I think it's kind of an interesting decision to exclude that part of Japan's history, where after all this happened, they decide they actually want to conquer everything. Um, but I, I don't know. Is that is that an intention to make the Japanese look better or to downplay the nuclear bomb? Or I'm not really sure what their intention with that was. I think the intention was that they are going through a point where... Um, where the way it's staged in the 2005 production is that they're trying to become a military power. And then they... Yeah, which is what actually happens, like, in the, in the real world. Yep. That's what happened. Yeah, but um, then I'm once wondering, they, with the original once, production, why did they skip that? Uh, I think it was probably because it was sensibilities. And, and you got to remember that at the time, it was like 30 years ago. At that time, it was like 30 years ago, and people were still feeling the effects of it. Yeah, it was not ancient history the way it kind of feels now. And for the show, and, and the way it's shown in the show, is that it, it changes their direction from being a military power to the, like, economic and technological power. Yeah, they, they yeah. won in the they end, so skip, to say. They skip the World War stuff, and they go straight to the uh, the good ending. <laughs> yeah. Next! Let's Let's... Let's skip the fact that they sided with the Nazis, fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to host trivia between these two nerds. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose again. I think we decided that the guest goes first. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Who was the original choreographer for Pacific Overtures? I was just looking at this name yesterday. It's Patricia something. I, I forget. Could you guess the last name? Brownt? Ooh, very close. Jess, I'm not sure. How do we, how do we want to proceed with that? Got the first name right. Ah, what would you do if it was me? If it was you, I'd say absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, I'll accept that. I'll accept no points. <laughs> okay. It's uh, Patricia Birch. Uh, Jess, do you want to give us any insight on, on Patricia Birch? Um, her name was in the playbill that I looked up. Wow, that was that's very insightful. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. All right, Jess, here's a question for you. All right, I can't wait to get it wrong. Okay. Who is the only actor to reprise their role from the original production in the 2005 revival? Oh. Okay. 
I'm just gonna throw a guest out there. Um, will you accept last names? <laughs> yeah, sure. Ing, I-N-G? Um, yeah. Can you get the first name? Oh, fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, God. Well, what's, only... the, what's the character? Who's the character? I think his name was, like, Alan. It's, uh, I think it's Alvin. Fuck! Am I saying that right, Alvin? Yeah, Alvin, like Alvin Ng. In the, in the chipmunks? Alvin uh. Ng, who is playing the Shogun's mother. Um, now, as I did with, uh, with Andrew, I'm going to say... No points. No points. Uh, and I will deserve it. <laughs> Since you both lost, uh, I'm gonna declare uh, Maestro the winner. Yay! <laughs> uh, thanks. I'm the best. All right. Yeah, no. I'm never, 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 never gonna give this. <laughs> Basically, Jess wins, loses by default. I mean, yeah, as it should happen. Um, you know who else should win by default? Hal Prince for getting this show on. Maestro, I know you've got a lot to say about Hal Prince. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Oh, sure thing. Well, for uh, those who don't know, I currently work at the Library for the Performing Arts in New York City. And starting September 18th, we will be opening a brand new exhibit called In the Company of Harold Prince, Broadway producer, director, and collaborator. Um, this will be a this will be a special exhibit uh, combining um, showing off artifacts with interactive uh, stuff. So in addition to ex displaying original costumes, set models, and archival video, we will uh, be showing facsimiles of paperwork from Pajama Game and Damn Yankees on an actual recreation of Prince's desk. We'll have digital replicas of scripts from former Secretary Ruth Mitchell, which will be linked to never-before-seen photos from the library's photo collection. And we'll have an open cabaret stage where visitors can either perform songs from Hal Prince musicals or talk about their own experiences seeing Hal Prince theatrical works. Uh, this exhibition uh, will open September 18th, 2019 and run through March 31st, 2020 during the library's normal hours, Monday through Saturday. And the um, exhibit itself is, of course, dedicated to Hal Prince, who unfortunately passed away back in July uh, he was a trustee of the library, and um, we are very happy that the library is home to a lot of his papers. Mm -hmm. That's that's incredible. And this runs through next March. Yep. I need to be there. I need I need to go check that out. I'm sure Jess will actually yeah. check it out. And yes, just check I, out the library in general, because um, the Performing Arts Library has books and DVDs all about the performing arts from musical theater to dance to music uh we have uh one of the largest collections of circulating scores and scripts and uh our research center has everything from uh old vinyl records to recent recordings of musicals thanks to the uh theater on film and tape archive which is how i actually got to watch the 2005 production incredible yeah so if you want to know yeah, unfortunately, I won't be working there after the end of this month. Um, you know, you're hired because you get to uh, work because you're in school. And I'm no longer in school. I just earned my master's in library science. So congratulations. To find... Thanks. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, so I got to find real work. But you all listening should definitely come out to the library 
it's absolutely free to check out the Hal Prince exhibit. And um, we encourage everybody to come out and uh, talk about it online. Um, we have a hash we're going to have a hashtag uh, for the exhibit and all the other events that we're holding in conjunction with it. Uh, hashtag Hal Prince NYPL. Hashtag it, kids. Because let me tell you, we're going to have a lot of people coming in to talk about working with Hal Prince. Um, we, in January, there's going to be a reunion uh, for Parade with Jason Robert Brown and playwright Alfred Urey. Susan Stroman's going to be talking about working with Hal Prince on the revival of Showboat in November. Um, we're showing the documentary Harold Prince, The Director's Life on October 21st. And uh, we're having a big sing-along show and tell, as my uh, boss loves to describe them on uh, January 30th. And best of all, all these events are free. Uh, most of them require an advanced reserva reservation. So you should go to nypl.org forward slash LPA forward slash events for all the listings of everything we have going on at the library. Mm. And when was that parade um, reunion? <laughs> Monday, January 13th at 6 p.m. Tickets mm. will be available starting November starting december 13th at 8 a.m gotcha all right um, may maybe jess will make a visit in early january to new york you probably won't <sighs> see me there but yeah all enjoy right. it well while we're chatting how about you guys tell us your overall thoughts on pacific overtures and your cheese rating all right i think i'll i'll go first yep yeah um <clears throat> it's a it's a very different show <laughs> So you agree, you agree with Clive Barnes with telling me? I uh, honestly, I think I kind of do. I I didn't love it, but I also obviously did not hate it. Um, and there's quite a few good songs in it. Like most of the music is very impressive and good. So there's a, there's a lot to be seen in here, but the story is a little bit tough to follow, and there's the lack of real like lead roles also makes it a little bit difficult to get fully invested in. Um, but I think the story is very interesting, and especially for people that are interested in things like uh, Japanese history, it's it's a very interesting telling of uh, this very important part of Japanese history. Um, as far as a cheese rating, uh, oh, what's that? I was just going to ask you how it ranks around the other Sondheims you've seen. Um, I'd probably put it close to Assassins. Which is on your lower end? Eh, yeah, but not bad. Um, it's not the frogs. I would, I would give it... Um, I've not seen the frogs, but I love frogs. Just throwing that out there, so I do want to see the frogs. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna give it a Sakura cheese, which is a cherry blossom cheese from Japan. Very cool. <laughs> Dang it, that was what I was gonna choose. What about you? What about you, my show? <laughs> I also would give it a Sakura cheese because it is a camembert brought over from the West, but made better by the Japanese. And overall, I do. That's, that's a better exclamation. There you go. And yeah, uh, I love the show. Um, it's definitely a unique story to tell on a Broadway stage. And I am so happy that they went and got a full Japanese cast to tell it. Because if you tried putting the show on with an all white cast or a, even just like a mix cast, you're not going to get like the same kind of authentic sort of feel for it. Mm hmm. And how does it rank among the other Sondheims? You say this is up there for you? Up there it is. I, I up there for me. Um, of course, uh, I 
might want to put it like maybe like with a little night music because I like overall I do like Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the Park and Into the Woods more as Sondheim shows. But I absolutely every time I put on this cast recording for Pacific Overtures, I'm always listening through to the end. I, I can't disagree with any of that. I share all of your guys's basic um, beliefs. I think it's very it's. It's one of those things that amazes me when I watch it, but I don't think I'm going to revisit it as often as I revisit all the other things. I'll revisit um, Someone in a Tree basically every month until I die. I know that, but I'm not sure I'll ever rewatch that entire recording of the video anytime soon. It ranks among mid-range Sondheim only because it's not accessible to me, but I can totally see some of Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim's absolute best work in this. Yeah, theatrically, it is their best show. Mm-hmm. Like, as a pairing, I think it might even be their best show. Like, I, it's right up there with Sweeney Todd, neck to neck. And Absolutely. my cheese rating is also Sakura cheese, but it is sliced... <laughs> it is sliced with a chrysanthemum cheese knife. <laughs> yeah, great. Good good job. Yeah. You really added to that one, Jess. Here, try the <laughs> cheese of the ch- chrysanthemum cheese. <laughs> All right. Oh, get the... Jess, can you get off the show, Jess? For disturbances at sea, I had to. Exactly. You know what else I have to do? What? Thank our wonderful patrons for donating to us and making this show possible. They are all, each and every one of them, incredible. That includes Stephanie L., Terry Needleman, Max Lunick, Benjamin Lehrer, Chris O'Kelly, Lily Ackles, Mackenzie Horner, John Donna, Taryn the Duck, Melissa Goldman, Just Lightning, Ewan Casty, Haley McDonald, Taskier, Cal McLeod, Fire September, and Sam Bergman. They're all incredible and making this show possible. Um, also, if you would please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, at Musicals with Cheese, we're on Twitter at Cheesy Musicals, we're on Patreon at Musicals with Cheese, our Instagram is Musicals with Cheese, our YouTube page is Musicals with Cheese, our email is kkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkkk
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.